The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the third chapter. Then Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out demons. Jesus called them to him. He said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an, an eternal sin. For they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. His mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent it to Him, and they called Him. A crowd was sitting around Him. They said to Him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking You. He answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. The Gospel of our Lord. So this season of Pentecost, we have kind of the idea or the, the theme of game time. And uh, we're in these first series of plays in this long game that takes us between now and Christ the King Sunday in the fall. And as we're thinking about this game today, you have a decision to make as a people, and then you're participating in a decision that we help the community around us make to, to have them know what the truth is. And it's based off of three words. And you're going to notice this phrase, and I'm going to be curious to see if any of you recognize who is the source for this phrase. The phrase is this, Jesus, lunatic, liar, or Lord? Who's the one that's the one who put that phrase out there? Does anybody remember that or recognize that? It's not necessarily the Bible person. It's a modern writer. Jesus, you have to decide, lunatic, liar, or Lord? You know who did that? Remember? Any guesses? Any guesses? C.S. Lewis. He's the one who, who put that out there. He was looking at the world saying that he's a cute Jesus and a coddly God and all this other stuff. And he's just a nice, polite teacher. And he's, no. He, he made it a little bit. you got three options. Lunatic, liar, or Lord. But actually, he was inspired by today's Bible lesson. Because that's exactly what's going on in this Bible lesson. Some people are saying he's a lunatic. He's out of his mind. Some people are saying he's a liar. And some people are saying he's Lord. We're going to look at that a little bit more right now. Three choices. You also have three groups. You have a crowd, you have his family, and you have the scribes and the leaders out of Jerusalem. So those are three things going on, always in threes. All right, so before we get to chapter three, where we're at today, we're going to remember what happened in chapter one. 
as you decide, and as you help the community around you decide whether he's a lunatic, a liar, or a lord, think about how the book of Mark starts. The very first words that Mark gives us in his book, it says, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God. There's no liar or lunatic in that. Good news, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Son of God. That's how he starts. And then right after that, we have a baptism. And at that baptism, the Lord who speaks and the earth shakes, the pillars of the, of the heavens shake at His voice, the God of all creation, heaven and earth, things seen and unseen, that God tears in Mark's Gospel. He tears open the heavens and His voice is heard on earth. This is My Son, My Beloved. With Him I am well pleased. So to the witnesses, liar, lunatic, or Lord. For those that didn't hear that or experience that baptism event, he calls 12 uh, people to be his followers. And then um, right after he does that, he goes into a synagogue. This is a very public place in a, in a community. And in that place, as soon as he enters to do what he does on the Sabbath, to rest in the Lord, to remember the Lord, and to bring other people into fellowship with their Heavenly Father, as soon as he enters, there's a demon in there. That demon shouts out, I know who you are. I mean, for everybody to hear, this possessed man, this demon, this man says, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Jesus tells him, be quiet and leave. Leave my child. Let him be. And he does. The man is restored to his health and his wellness. The sanctuary is clean and they're able to worship their Lord on that day to remember the words. So to this question, it keeps developing for us. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. For us, for me, it seems pretty obvious. It's Lord. There's only one option. Lord. But if that wasn't enough, what do we know about this liar, lunatic, or Lord? The next thing that's going to happen in this book of Mark is there's going to be a leper. This man has been cast away from his family. He's living a soul life. And his flesh is rotting on his body. It's a painful, miserable, hard life. And it's an isolation from those he loves best. Leper. And the leper comes up to him, which is a violation. But the leper comes up to him and says, Lord, if you choose, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus, instead of getting mad at him for breaking the rules, instead of reprimanding him for breaking the rules, he says, I do choose. Be clean. That's not a lunatic. That's not a liar. That's someone who loves. And only the Lord can heal. And that man was healed. Even today, I don't know if we have science that heals leprosy very well. Even today. After that, he's traveling. It just says in Mark's Gospel that his fame is spreading throughout the land. They can't control it. It's like the whole land is, is a grass field and this fire is patching and is spreading in all directions all at the same time. They can't contain it. He's going from town to town to town and anybody who's sick, he's healing of them. Anybody who has a, a demon, he's, he's setting them free. He's teaching them about the ways and the truth in life with authority and with truth and an understanding that no one in the world has ever heard or seen before because he's the one that gave them the words. 
He's the one that inspired the words. He was there when they were writing the books. He was there before the creation was even established. No wonder he can speak with authority and understanding. And that is fame and that understanding and that power to heal is spreading throughout the whole countryside, all of that area, and they can't stop it and crowds are following him. They have hope he's the Lord. Last week, we remembered a Sabbath. Remember how he took back the Sabbath. The Sabbath, he said, was made for us. It was our Heavenly Father's gift to us. A gift for us to enjoy. A gift for us to come back and be in the presence of our Father. That's the Sabbath. And the religious ones, they had taken it and they made it about codes and rituals and other things. And they said on the Sabbath, you can't do this and you can't do that. And you can't even feed the hungry people if they're starving. He said, no. He said, do you remember David? When he was hungry, he ate the press. It was the, the bread of the presence, the holy dedicated bread. They gave it to him. He was hungry and in need. The needs of people. The Sabbath, he came to give that. And then he said, for all of us that come, in this one, it was a man with a withered hand. His hand was twisted. We've probably seen people that had crippled, twisted parts of their body. This guy had been in there his whole life, crippled and twisted. Think about us, what parts of our life are crippled, what parts of our lives are twisted, the relationships we have, the relationships we have with the world, with each other. The wounds we receive from people, the hardships we faced, how part, what parts of us are under pressure, dressed, and are kind of twisted. And God says on the Sabbath, this is made for you to be healed. And he told the man, stretch out your hand and be healed. And he stretched out his hand. The Sabbath was made for us to be healed, for us to be restored, for us to be fed and, and in the presence of our Heavenly Father. And he took that back just last week. For me, that's not a lunatic. And that's not a liar. Now we're at home. Today's Bible lesson, Jesus has gone back to his home area and his family's heard about because he's that close and they're on their way. Crowds are following. It should not be a surprise. After all that we've just remembered, and we haven't remembered at all, of all the things that we've just remembered, is it any wonder that thousands of people are trying to get to him? He's the one who speaks the word with truth and with power and with authority and with understanding. He's the one that's for us, regardless of what the institution rules are. He wants us fed. He wants us healed. He wants us whole again, reaffirmed back with our families. And nothing will stand in his way. If there's a demon, get out of here. If there's, a, if there's an illness, be gone. That's who this is. And the crowds are coming. He can't even eat. There's not enough space. There's not enough time. It's crazy the number of people coming to him. And they have hope. They're coming to him because he is their only hope. Not all of them are coming with hope. There are a group, the ones who are elite, intelligent, educated, in charge of the systems and the authorities and keeping everything in the order that profits them and whatever. The elite ones come from Jerusalem. And all throughout these weeks before, they've been watching Jesus. They're always trying to, to snare him and, and, and get him trapped in one of their little baits and, and, and traps. And they're there again. They're always there. And now that they're there and they're seeing what's going on, they're in trouble. Because what Jesus is doing, people are watching it. They're experiencing it. They're seeing it personally. And then they're telling everybody around them and they're losing control. Who is this Jesus? What's he doing? 
They're almost like the demons in the synagogue. What are you here for? You come to destroy us? That's almost their reaction. So they show up, and now what do they start to do? They're going to start to say that he's a lunatic. He's crazy. That's their first accusation. He's crazy. He is out of his mind. He's out of his body. That's craziness when you're not connected rightly. He's a lunatic. They start saying that he's a crazy person. Oh, you can't listen to him. He's crazy. Well, the problem with that accusation, which means they have to go to number two, but the problem with that accusation that saying he's a lunatic is that there's not a lot of evidence for that. He's teaching with clarity. Lunatics don't do that. He's healing people because he loves them. Crazy people don't do that. He's restoring things that have been twisted and fouled. Lunatics, crazy people, can't do that. Moreover, when he tells the leper be healed, that's not the power of a lunatic. That's the power that only comes from the God in heaven. Their accusation that he's a lunatic only makes them look foolish because there's no way he can be a lunatic. None. So now that the accusation is failing because he's displaying the goodness and the love and the mercy and the power of God to bring people back to healing, they have to go to their next accusation. Their next accusation is liar. And this is going to get serious. The scribes are now saying he's a liar. More than that, they're saying he's the prince, the god of lies, i.e. Satan. They change their attack because everyone knows that he is in his right mind and he is of God. So now they're trying to twist it and saying that his power is not from God, it's from the evil one. The only other thing that might have similar powers. He has power that no one has ever seen. And um, they try to mislabel this power. They create a lie saying that he's a liar. They call him Beelzebul. That's been the name for Satan. You can look it up. It's in the Old Testament as well. It's been used by the Hebrew people for a long time. The word Beelzebul, five times in the Old Testament. But now where does that word come from? And this is kind of cool for those that like the little details of, of Bible things. It probably has sources in the word Baal and um, Baalzebub, which was, was later changed to Baal Belzebub. In 2 Kings chapter 1, there's a city named Ekron. The Ekronites live there. Ekron, it's in Philistine or Philistia. In that place, um, they're worshiping this God on the hill. What the name Baal means is Lord, and Zebul has to do with location, on high. He's, he's the Lord on high. That's the title that they've given him into this land for which God's people are now interacting. Um, the Hebrew people recognize that that's not true, that that Baal is not their Lord. They have the Lord God. Their God is God of all gods. And so what they did is they changed one letter and it changed the meaning, changed it all together. And just think about how one letter can change the meanings fairly significantly. The, the word B-U-T. I love you, but. I like ice cream, but. Right? But it's, it's a word that can even erase everything before it. But that's a word. What happens if you just change the letters and just put two T's at the end of it? It's amazing what one letter can do. B-U-T or B-U-T-T, right? Changes it. Here, they change one letter. Instead of Beelzebul, they, chill, they, make it Beelze, they change it from Beelzebub to Beelzebul. The Hebrew people do. Because by changing that one letter, instead of saying the Lord that sits on high, 
It's actually what they're saying. It's the Lord of the, the dung. I made it, I made it I gentle. I made that word gentle. The Lord of the dung. Or Lord of the dung flies. They're all related. So they insulted and demeaned and actually put it in place, the God of these Ekron people, Ekronites, um, by saying that their Lord is your Lord. Well, your Lord is the dung Lord, the flies of the dung pile Lord. So Beelzebul, changing from Beelzebub to Beelzebul, that's what they've done. That's the history of that. Now that's what they're telling the world that Jesus is. That's what they're telling the world Jesus is. Now that's kind of crazy. Actually, it's worse than crazy. It's dangerous for them. Because they have been there watching what everybody else has been watching. Everything that we just remembered, they had people that had been telling them about it. They were there to hear about Mark's message. They were here about his baptism. They were there to hear about what happened in the synagogue with the demon. They were there to know about the lepers and all these other cleansings. They were known about his teaching. They've been listening to his teaching. They've been following him for all of this time. And these people refuse to accept him as Lord. And instead of calling him Lord, the Son of the Lord, Son of God, instead of saying that, they're saying the, just the opposite. They're smearing God's holy name, God's son's name, by saying that you're the Lord of the dung heap, you're the Lord of the lies, you're Satan. That is dangerous. The rejection of God the Father and His message, the rejection of the Son of God who came to redeem us, the rejection of the Holy Spirit that is in God and in everybody working on them so that they will be able to hear and see and understand and have tender hearts for this Lord who would save them. They are rejecting that. And more than that, they're putting out a lying message, a blasphemous message, and that is an unpardonable sin. Not that you do it once. If you holler out at God and you insult to God's holy name and, and because something's wounded you and you're hurting in this world, that's a one-time event. That's just out of ignorance and raw sinful humanity. Fair enough. But if you do that continuously your whole life, if you continuously turn your back to the Son of God and to the Father and to the Holy Spirit, if you continuously refuse to listen and to see and understand the truth, if you say that the truth of God is nothing but a lie and it's the work of the evil one or just a waste of your breath, if you do that your whole life, that's unpardonable because not once have you repented. Not once have you turned back to God and said you're sorry. Not once have you confessed. And the longer you do that, the more calloused you become. The longer you say sin is no longer sin, the more callous you become. And that can be unpardonable because eventually you won't even say you're sorry. You'll just say, well, everybody does it that way. It's not even, I don't need to ask for forgiveness. The unpardonable sin? Dangerous. That's what's going on. They don't say he's Lord. They say he's a liar and a lunatic. Don't know about their motives. Don't know about anybody's motives who acts that way. We won't even go there. We can speculate. But what happens next is now we have Jesus' family coming in. So we had that episode that's going to end with this Jesus' family coming in. You have the Pharisees and the scribes and the leaders saying he's a lunatic or a liar, a waste of breath. He's the He's the Satan. But now you have the family coming in, and we're going to get a little bit different of a picture. Um, the lies and the mistruths that they are saying have reached his family's ears, and they are come to see what's going on. 
If There are parents in this world who hear about something going on with their children in a faraway place or a place that's not too far away. And that parent, because they love, they will absolutely, that family because they love, will absolutely make sure that they go there and they'll find out for themselves. You're in a car wreck and you're all busted up. Your parents or your family will want to be there. Your church family will want to be there. If you're making some stupid decisions, some bonehead decisions in your life, and you're, and you're, you're squandering your life, and you're exchanging it for the lies of the evil one and unholy living, your family might show up and shake you and say, what are you doing? They just might want to come save you if they know someone's going to try to hurt you. Well, in this one, Jesus' family comes to him. They want to protect him. They want to help him. Find out what's going on. And while they're nearby, he reveals to everybody a beautiful kingdom truth, which is at the heart and the ending of the message. Jesus is not disrespecting his mother, the holy woman she is, gave birth, had the Holy Spirit in her like no other woman in history. He didn't respect her. He's not disrespecting the half-brothers, the half-sisters. He's not. What he's doing is he's putting emphasis where the emphasis needs to be. The emphasis needs to be on your relationship and your rightness with God the Father. And that takes precedence over everything else. Your biological relationships are secondary to your relationship with God the Father. And that's what he's saying. Who is my brother and sister? It's the one who will do the will of my Heavenly Father. That's exactly what he says. So the, all these people around, there's a crowd now in a smaller space. And, and Jesus looks at them like he would be looking at you. He looks at them and they're sitting near him. They're seeking him and he can see it. And he says to them, here, basically saying to you, you are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters. What a gift. When the Son of God looks upon those who are seeking Him and and the will of the Father and, and wanting that relationship, for Him to say to you, you are that. You are my brother. God Almighty. He is saying, you are my son and my daughter. What a beloved gift. And it's not about the biology. It's about a spiritual world and a connection to the Father that makes us related in ways we don't even hardly understand these days. He's saying, you are the people who have a true relationship with me because you answered God's Holy Spirit's call to come and to seek my way and my truth. And you are committing yourselves to me and the Father. And then he ends it by saying, for whoever does the will of my God, he is my brother, sister, and mother. You are seeking God this day. You're here. We come here and we ask for forgiveness. We come here and we want healing for all the junk in our lives and all the stuff going on in our worlds. For the people we know and love that need healing. We come here for healing. We are wanting to know God's way because we've tested our way and it just leads to gray ugliness and we want a better life. We come here and we recognize that Jesus is the Son of God and He is Lord. And that's what happens with His His family. Take a look later on this week. Short books, you can read them. Read the book of Jude and read the book of James towards the back, very back of the Bible. Jude, starting from the back going forward, it was one of his brothers, his half-brothers. Seen him since he was a little guy, all the way up till now. You know what Jude writes in his very first words of his book? His letter? He writes these words. He says, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And then he writes, 
You, beloved, who are building yourselves up in your most holy faith, who are praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. A brother. He doesn't claim he's his brother. He doesn't say, yeah, Jesus is my, I'm his brother. He, does, he says, Jesus, I'm his, I'm his slave. He calls him Lord. And from that place of recognizing that he is Lord, then he says, live in such a way as that you give him honor and glory with your life, with your thoughts, your heart actions, your motives, everything. Strive for the love of God. That's what his brother Jude has to say. Read the book. Cool book. And then James, you got one more. Another brother of Jesus. He actually becomes a leader of the church in, in Jerusalem. James, the very first words that he writes in his books, he says, James, me, James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't even make reference that he's a brother of Jude. And neither one of them make reference that they're brothers of Jesus. Jesus to them is Lord. And they are servants. They are slaves of that Lord. And then James goes on to say, do be more than hearers. Do not deceive yourselves. Be more than hearers of the word. Be doers of the word. Let your life reflect your faith. And he goes on to talk about faith without works is dead. To say you love somebody and don't reflect it in the way you live, that is a lie. It's dead love. If you love something, it's reflected. If you love Jesus, if he's your Lord, your life reflects it. And that's what the, the brothers are saying that. So what's the family telling us? We got the scribes and the Pharisees telling us he's a liar and he's a lunatic. They're unrepentant and they will go to their place of judgment because they're unrepentant. That's not what God wants. He offers everybody f forgiveness. But if you say no, if you turn your back and reject it, you get what you get. However, the brothers and the crowds and everybody else who is seeking him, they don't call him brother or son. They call him Lord. And that's what we do. That's what we do here on Sundays. Remember that He is our Lord. He takes precedence over our wives and our husbands and over our children and over everything else in this world. He is Lord. Nothing comes first. And then from there, we deal with the rest of it. With love like He loves. For us, not a liar, not a lunatic. He is Lord. Now as we go out this week, we pray that God will make us live and love in such a way as when the world sees us, they will see faith and hope and a trust in that reality that He is our Lord. And that when they see us, they'll be drawn to know and to love the One who calls them home. God, help us be that people. In Jesus' name we pray.